Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, good morning, Bible Center Church. So good to be with you. My name is Dan Martin, as Matt introduced me. I'm so appreciative of that. I am uh, live in the Dallas area with my wife, Kathy. We've been married 30 years and three kids, four grandkids. Uh, that's the background on us. And it is just such a privilege to be here, to be part of this fall where you all are emphasizing the family bundle. And that is my heart for ministry. It has been all of my adult life, and I'm so honored to be asked to participate and really to close out this Reno series. And today we're going to be looking at the next generation, how we lead and disciple and encourage the next generation. And we're going to focus on parenting, but I think this message is for everyone here because we all have children in our lives. We all influence the next generation, whether you're a grandparent, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a teacher, um, a youth worker, an elementary school worker, whatever you do to build into the lives of children, I think this message will encourage you. And so if you're here and you're not a parent, um, I thought it would be helpful if I gave you maybe a little bit of insight into parenting. So I want you to imagine for a moment that tomorrow you're going to start a new job. You have absolutely no experience, no qualification. Uh, You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're supposed to do. You show up there, and then you find out that innocent, fragile lives are at stake. That's parenting. I, I love what the comedian Jerry Seinfeld, how he describes parenting. He says, having a two-year-old is like having a blender, but you don't have a top for it. The journalist Doug Larson says, few things are more satisfying than seeing your own children have teenagers of their own one day. Robert Orban, who was a speechwriter for Gerald Ford, he had this wisdom for parents when it comes to disciplining children. He said, parents, don't ever raise your hand to your children. It leaves your midsection unprotected. And then I saw this meme the other day that I thought was a great description of what parenting is really like. It's these two friends talking, and one friend says, what is parenting like to the other friend? To which he answers, you know all the side effects that they mention on prescription drug commercials? It's like that. Parenting is tough, but parenting is also a great honor and a great privilege And like everything else, it comes with great responsibilities. And I love that God's word does not leave us without great instructions. And so we're going to look at a passage this morning that we've already seen in this series, but I want us to look at it again and see something new from it. It's Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 7. It says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Parents, the first part of that passage is for you and I. And it's a reminder to us that we are to be cultivating and nurturing our own relationship with God above all other things that all of our heart, 
All of our soul, all of our strength belongs to God and comes from God. And this is a great reminder for us that we must cultivate our relationship first before, and then the instruction goes on, before we begin teaching our children and impressing this upon them. They will be watching us. And what we tell them and what we teach them will go really, will not go nearly as far as when we model it for them. And this is a great reminder for us as parents to cultivate that relationship with God on our own each and every day. Because it can feel like an overwhelming challenge to raise kids in the culture we live in, in the environment that we live in, to know God and to know his ways and to know his love. And we do that by modeling for our kids what that looks like before we begin to teach and impress upon them. Wouldn't it be great if when you were bringing your child home from the hospital and you were walking that child out to get into the car for the first time and the nurse comes running out of the hospital and says, wait, Mr. Martin, Mr. Martin, you forgot your manual. You forgot the manual for raising this child. Wouldn't it be great if we got one of those? Well, what I discovered early on, what my wife and I discovered early on, is that manual would have had to have been different for each of our kids. Because parenting each of our kids had unique challenges. Each kid was different. We disciplined them different. They learned differently. Like it was up to us to figure that out. But I would have loved to have had a manual. And I wish I could hand you a manual for your child. I can't do that. But what I can do, and what we're going to talk about this morning, is we are going to look at a model for parenting. The Bible gives us a great model, a great example of parenting that we're going to look at. And then we're going to look at some needs that our kids have and how by implementing that model, that person's model into our parenting style, we can meet the most important needs of our kids. The model we're going to look at this morning is God himself. Have you ever thought of God as a parent? Have you ever thought of him as a parent who loves us and nurtures us? In the Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, God is referred to as Father 165 times, just in those four chapters. And I want us to see something. I want us to see how the Apostle Paul tells us that we should see ourselves in light of God as our Father. He says this to us in Romans 8, 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That Greek term, Abba, is a term that Paul used. It's also a term that Jesus used. It is a very intimate and in a very affectionate term. And the best translation that we have for that Greek word Abba is the word daddy. It's a very intimate and affectionate term. And Paul 
and Jesus both refer to God that way. And so I want us to start with that today, that understanding of what it means to call God our Father, to look at him as our parent and to see him as our daddy and then to model that as we parent our kids. I love how the pastor Tim Keller in New York says this about seeing God as our father. He says, if we understand that God is our father, we know that we are absolutely safe with him and that we will always have a home with him. Once we realize this, we can form a covenant with God and celebrate in his love for us. You know, the idea of seeing God as a good father, as a safe father, as a loving father for somebody like me is not a stretch because I had a good dad. I had a loving father and he pointed me towards God and he modeled for me good things. As imperfect as he was, he loved me and he helped me to find that same love and comfort in God. For some of you here, you didn't have that and I'm sorry. You don't see your dad as a safe place or a loving dad. And if that's the case, I'm sorry, but I want you to hear this, and I want you to know this. God wants to restore that. He wants to replace what you didn't have with something better, and that is him. He wants to be your Abba, your daddy. And here's our big idea this morning. God is the perfect parent. Our best parenting happens when we treat our kids the way he treats us. Our relationship with God is based on grace. It is only because of his grace that we are even allowed to have a relationship with him. And so our parenting should model God's parenting. Our parenting should be based on grace just like his parenting us is based on his grace. So with God as our model, let's look at some practical ways that we can incorporate his model of parenting into how we parent our kids. I mentioned God parents us based on grace. That's what we should use as a foundation for parenting our kids. And I want to pause for just a second because I want to give a disclaimer I give a parenting message often, and I, and I talk to parents all the time. There are some of you in this room who are parents who have parented really well. You have guided your children, you've raised them up in the church, you've taught them God's word, you've pointed them towards Christ, and yet your children have chosen to turn away from God. They've turned away from their faith. I want you to hear this. God is the perfect parent, and even some of his kids rebel. It doesn't matter if we do everything right. God has given each and every one of us and each and every one of our kids free will. Not sure why he did that, but he did that. And it is up to our kids. Sometimes we've raised them the way we should have raised them. We've done the things we should have done. And I just want to say this because sometimes we need to start with grace for ourselves and just see that, that even God as a perfect parent has kids who rebel. Let's go back to this idea of God treating us, us with grace. Some of you in this room, may, as parents, may hear the word grace 
as it, as it pertains to parenting, and you think to yourself, okay, that means I need to be nicer to my kids, right? That means I need to be my kid's best friend. That means I need to not discipline my kids. That is a very poor understanding of what grace really is. So let's look at a definition, a good definition of what grace really is. Grace is unmerited favor. You and I don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, but yet God's favor is upon us. Grace also means unconditional love. Once again, there's nothing we've done to earn it or deserve it. There is absolutely no way that God could love you any more than he loves you right now at this very moment. Regardless of what you've done, you and I have God's unconditional love. And that is the kind of thing that we need to pass on to our kids. That's the way our homes should be. We should have, our kids should have our unmerited favor and our unconditional love. But the Bible also tells us that God loves us despite our mistakes and, and our disappointments. It also tells us that we're not subject to the punishment that we deserve for our sin. But it also tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, that God disciplines those he loves. Though we have God's forgiveness, he does not protect us from the consequences of sin. He disciplines us. He teaches us. He admonishes us. So if we're going to model our parenting the way God treats us, we need to better understand how he treats us. And we need to be able to pass that along. Jesus said that he came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. But Jesus always led with grace. He always created what I would call an atmosphere of grace. Everywhere he went, before he taught his disciples, before he taught his followers. I love how this is demonstrated in John chapter 8. This is the encounter with the woman caught in adultery. And I love this interaction that Jesus has with this woman because it begins with Jesus creating an atmosphere of grace for this woman. What does he do for this woman? This woman is about to be stoned to death. The religious leaders of the time who all thought they were better than everybody else thought it was their job to inflict punishment on this woman. And then Jesus comes along and he literally saves this woman's life. She is on the ground ready to be stoned to death to get the punishment that she deserves. And Jesus kneels down and gets on her level and he writes something in the dirt. And I don't know what he wrote, but that demonstration to get down on her level, to meet her eyes, to be at the level that she was, and then to say to the woman, where have your accusers gone? And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus creates this incredible atmosphere of grace and this demonstration of grace, but that isn't the end of the story. Now that he's established a relationship, that he's established grace, what does he do? He ends that encounter with these words, go and sin no more. 
He delivers truth to this woman when she is ready to receive it. Grace and truth is a winning formula when it comes to parenting. It's how God deals with us. And finding a way to cultivate an atmosphere of grace in our homes is something that we as parents should be making as a goal, that our home is warm and inviting. It is an atmosphere of grace. So creating an atmosphere of grace in our homes should be that goal. Let me give you an example or an illustration that may help us see what I mean by creating an atmosphere of grace. Now, I'm going to need you to put your pretend hats on for a minute, okay? You're going to need to pretend something. Let's pretend for a moment that this message I'm giving is the best message you've ever heard. Now, you're really going to have to pretend and act like that's true, okay? But this is the best message that, that could ever be delivered. It is biblically sound. It is strong. It is a great message. But the temperature in this room was about 20 degrees, and you were dressed just like you're dressed right now. You would be thinking to yourself, I got to get out of here. You would be thinking to yourself, I wish this guy would shut up. You, you might be thinking that anyway, but you, might be, you would be thinking that. You wouldn't be thinking about the words that I was saying because you would be so uncomfortable. You'd be so cold, and you would want to get out of here. That's what I mean by creating an atmosphere of grace in our homes, homes that are loving, homes that are warm, homes that are accepting, homes that give unmerited favor and unconditional love. Because if we have not created this environment, If our kids don't feel safe, if they don't feel the warmth and love of a loving home, it doesn't really matter what we teach them. They're not going to hear it. We've got to create this atmosphere of grace so that we can then deliver truth and impress upon their hearts what we are told in Deuteronomy 6. Ultimately, we want to point our kids to see God As a loving father, we want them to cry out, Abba, Father, and see God as their good, loving daddy. Well, creating this environment, I really believe, is foundational for parenting well because it is how God treats us. It is how he accepts us. And when our homes have this characteristic, it allows us to best meet what I would call our kids' Three most important needs. These are needs that our kids, every one of us as human beings, are created and and designed and brought into this world needing three things. Three very important things that it is up to us parents to help them meet. These are very powerful needs. And here they are. A need for security. A need for significance. And a need for strength. And by strength, I mean a sufficiency for the future. Answering that question, I've got what it takes. God has given me the tools to make it in this world. Now, now parents, the scary thing is there's somebody who knows these three needs better than anyone, better than you and I will ever know these three needs. And it is the enemy, Satan himself. He wants to meet these needs in our kids' lives. He wants to meet them in illegitimate ways. He wants to meet them in ways that would take them away from God's loving arms. And so it's up to us, parents, to meet these needs 
while our kids are at home, and grandparents too. Let me, let me speak to you. I, I've had the privilege of becoming a grandparent over the last three years, and I love that I get to come around my kids as they parent and support them and, and help them in this endeavor. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8 about our enemy. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I don't know if it has ever been more true than it is right now that our kids, that Satan is at work in our kids' lives in a way and in a, and in a, uh, a strength that he has never been after their hearts before. And I think it's a great reminder for us that the, our kids will have these needs met. We've got to help them meet it in our homes. So the first one, let's look at that. A need for security. Think about a child when you bring a child home from the hospital. Or actually right after the child is born, what's the first thing that they do? After they clean up the baby. They clean it up, they wrap it in a warm blanket. They wrap it really tight. And they hand it to the mother, and the mother snuggles it, cuddles with it, and keeps it safe and warm. Wants that baby to know you're safe, you're secure. We're born with that need, and we begin meeting that need immediately. Now, the way that we continue to meet this need for, for security throughout our kids' lives is we give them lots and lots of affection Lots of appropriate touch, hugs and, and pats on the back and, and, and affectionate kisses as their parents and, and loving affection. We give them an unconditional acceptance, which is, parents, this is so important, void of comparison of other kids and other children. And we give them a loving and an honoring home. Now, for some of you, this may come a little more naturally. You grew up in a home that moms and dads hugged each other, they were affectionate with one another, and they were affectionate with you. Some of you grew up in a home that it wasn't that way, that, that you didn't get hugs and you weren't uh, given appropriate affection and appropriate touch. Parents, this is the thing. Our kids need this. Regardless of whether or not it was your experience, they need this. And so some of us have to work a little harder at that because our, we, need to, we need to do that anyway, even if it doesn't come naturally. When this need is not met, when it's not met in a loving home, in our homes, in a legitimate way, it can lead our kids to these counterfeit solutions that Satan would offer them. Counterfeit solutions that would lead them to things like seeking after money and fame and possessions and unhealthy relationships, which are cheap imitations of what true secure love gives them. Ultimately, the kind of secure love that they will only find in the arms of their loving father, their Abba. The second need is a need for significance. A need for significance. This is best met when we help and guide our kids to find a significant hope. And this significant hope, this significant purpose is twofold. We help them see that they were made by God, that he intentionally created them. And we help them define their unique purpose in life, the why, 
Why did God create me? What did he create me for? And we find their purpose. There's nothing more significant for our kids to know than that they were made for a meaningful purpose. I love how the psalmist says this. In Psalm 139, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Gosh, I want my kids to know that. I want my kids to be able to to say that and repeat those words and feel them. Because when we meet this need, when we help our kids discover their uniqueness and their gifting, how God has wired them, helping them to feel a sense of purpose, what their contribution is to the world, it will change the, the trajectory of their life. So many kids today are growing up feeling insignificant, feeling like their life doesn't have purpose or meaning. And as a pastor, I see this all the time, and I hear heartbreaking stories of kids who are doing self-harm, who are involved in destructive behavior, and even kids who come to a place in their life where they are ending their life because they don't feel that their life matters, that their life is significant, significant. Some thoughts on on meeting this need, this need for significance. We need to give our kids regular affirmation. And by by regular affirmation, I don't mean empty praise. I don't mean the everybody gets a trophy kind of mentality. What I mean is looking looking for things in their life that we can praise, looking for things in their life that we can encourage them with. Things like, you know, for young children, praising them for being kind, praising them for sharing things. And as they grow up, praising them for hard work and good effort and and accomplishments that they come. And here, parents, so, so important for us, for our kids to hear that we are proud of them. Even when they fail and make a mistake, we can be proud of them and we can support them and we can help them. This is so important for us to do. And the other way that we meet this need is we give our kids our full attention. That there are moments when our kids get face-to-face full attention from us. We live in a world of distraction. In fact, I think the enemy's number one tool right now is to distract us. And we see this all the time. I talked about this yesterday in our, in our parenting conference that we were talking about is we live in an age of digital distraction where screens are always a part of our lives, right? Whether we're on our phones or, or in front of uh, Netflix or YouTube or whatever, screens are always there. Parents, we have got to give our kids undistracted, full attention time. That's how they know that they are significant. And we also help our kids find their significance when we give them clear boundaries. We give them clear instruction and we discipline them when things are not going well, when they're not behaving correctly. And I, and I think this is important. Um, we, had, we were speaking at one of the schools this week and in our breakout session, we broke out the guys and the girls and one young man shared with us and he said, I wish my parents would take my phone away at night. It was like just hearing this child wishing his parents would give him some boundaries. 
Our kids need that. They need to know that they are worth our time, that to have boundaries in their lives, that we care enough to do that. The writer of Hebrews gives us instruction as to how we are to view discipline in our lives. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, then you are not a legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, meaning our earthly fathers, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Parents, that is so true for our kids. The boundaries that we give them can be an important way that we help them find that need and fill that need for significance. If we don't help them find that, if we don't help our kids find their significance in legitimate ways, then they will turn to alternate solutions, counterfeit solutions like popularity, applause, recognition, those sorts of things. And those solutions end up robbing them of their true significance, which can only be found in a secure and loving relationship with God himself. And then the third need, the third need that, that our atmosphere of grace in our homes can help fill is a need for strength, a sufficiency for the future. Answering the question, I have what it takes for our kids. And this is a big one, parents. This is so important. We best meet this need for our kids when we help them know that they have a strong hope. When parents help their kids to develop God-given abilities, they help their kids meet this need. How do you know what your child's God-given abilities are? Well, let me ask you this question, because this can help answer that question. What annoys you the most about your child? <laughs> Sometimes that can be a clue as to what their abilities are. Often we get aggravated or we get frustrated by the things that our kids do that annoy us, but sometimes they can point us to the very way that God has created them. And, and just to, to tell you the difference, we talked about a need for significance. This is their, their ultimate purpose in life. This one, the need for strength, is about their abilities and their gifting and how they're going to to carry out their purpose in a unique way, in a way that God has uniquely given them the ability to do. And I'll give you a personal example here. My daughter, Hannah, who is now 28 years old, um, she's our middle child. We discovered very early, around the age of two or three, that Hannah had the ability, um, although I wouldn't have called it that at the time, I would have called it an annoyance, Hannah always wanted the spotlight of a room on her. If, if she was in a room of people and she felt like she was being overlooked or ignored, Hannah would stand up on a chair and begin singing very loudly. 
And it, she wanted to make sure everybody in the room knew she was there and knew that, that, that she was there. And her mom and I would often, it would be embarrassing at times. She was very outgoing. She was very uh, performance-oriented. Well, we also realized early on that we needed to help Hannah uh, kind of cultivate this, this ability and, and this, this gifting. Um, we had to help her with that. But I want to show you a picture of my daughter Hannah because it best represents for her mother and I kind of Hannah's personality at a very young age. This is Hannah at four years old. This is her vacation Bible school picture. So I, I want to set the stage for you. First of all, the, Hannah has normal eyes. There's nothing wrong with her eyes normally. But we walk into this room on parent night after vacation Bible school and, you know, all the kids' pictures are up on the wall and, and they're cute and, oh, look at that, they're dressed as shepherds and, you know, they're telling the story and we're going through all the pictures and then we come to this one and her mom and I just start cracking up. It's, it's so funny. I don't think Hannah, I don't think we have a normal picture of Hannah as a three or four-year-old. Like she was always making a face and always doing it. That little girl still makes me laugh today. But I'm so proud of how she has kind of turned these um, things that were annoying, these abilities that God gave her into a strength. And, and today, Hannah is a worship leader at the church where we attend. And she produces music. She writes worship songs. Um, she is a very gifted artist. And, and I, love, I love how God has gifted her uniquely. And we saw that very early on. Parents, when we focus on our kids' strengths rather than on their weaknesses, it helps to mold them and to shape them into what God intended them to be. And I think so often as parents, we want our kids to excel at everything. We want our kids to be good at everything they do. And the truth is they can't. They won't. They weren't built that way. They can't excel at everything they do. I don't think it's good parenting advice to say to your child, you can be anything you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. I think that that is void of the specific focus that God wants to give us to our kids. As grandparents and parents, we have a front row seat to our kids' lives. And we can speak into that. You know what? I really see that God has gifted you to do this thing. That God has uniquely gifted you to, to do this and help them develop those gifts. Help them, and, and we do that by concentrating and, and focusing on their strengths and helping them to overcome that. Another way that we help our kids find strength is by encouraging them to live a life of adventure. A life of adventure. A life of adventure is not a safe life. So often as parents, we want to we wanna protect our kids, right? We want to we wanna put them in this bubble. We want to protect them from all the, the awful things that are out there and the mistakes and the consequences to bad decisions. We want to protect them. That can be a good thing when our kids are young. But if we do that too long, if we put them in a bubble and overprotect them for too long in their life, we keep them safe, but we don't call them to a life of adventure. God calls us to a life of adventure, an abundant life, life to the full, life to the max. Sometimes the very thing that God wants to use in their life to grow them, to grow their faith in him, can be those difficult situations 
that we want to protect them from. God uses those things to grow their faith and their trust. I want to read a, an article for you, an excerpt from an article that I read um, a few years ago, and I think it speaks to this need for strength in our kids. The title of this article is The Role of Wind in a Tree's Life. Remember Biosphere 2. In short, it's a miniature version of our planet, now owned by the University of Arizona, constructed for scientists to study how the planet's living systems actually work. The major discovery from it was something that scientists had never expected. In Biosphere 2, they had trees growing faster than they would grow in the wild. Also, they found that these trees wouldn't completely mature. Before they could mature, they would collapse. Later, it was found that this was caused by the lack of wind in the biosphere. And it turns out wind plays a major role in a tree's life. The presence of wind makes a tree stronger. It is thus able to mature and not fall down due to its own weight. When plants and trees grow in the wild, the wind constantly keeps them moving. This causes a stress in the wooden load-bearing structure of the tree. So to compensate, the tree manages to grow something called the reaction wood or stress wood. This stress wood usually has a different structure and is able to position the tree where it get the best light or other optimum resources. This is the reason why trees are able to contort towards best light and still survive loads and even awkward shapes. The tree is able to grow in a more solid manner thanks to the reaction wood. If there's no wind, the trees end up being much weaker and aren't able to survive for long. And, re and this is how the article ends. Remember, stress is what makes a tree strong enough to sustain the wear and the tear that it will face later in life. And parents, I think this is true of our kids. God allows for trials and hardships to occur in each of our lives in order to help us to trust him more, to lean on him more, to learn to grow our faith and our trust in God. He also allows us to experience consequences for bad choices. Let's not overprotect our kids and keep them from suffering some of the consequences for poor choices in their lives. Sometimes as parents, we can shield them from the very thing that God wants to use to strengthen them. The author, one of, one of my favorite authors and writer of Grace-Based Parenting, it's a book that we recommend that's in your notes, I believe, as well, uh, Tim Kimmel, who wrote the book Grace-Based Parenting, he says this, and I love this, God has not called us to raise safe kids. He has called us to raise strong kids. And I want to challenge us as parents to ask God to help us to raise strong kids. Because parents, grandparents, teachers, people who are influencing the next generation, our world needs strong kids. Kids who are strong in their faith, Kids who, when they face difficulties in life, turn to God, not turn away from God. We need kids who have strong marriages and strong homes. And we need to raise strong children. And we do that 
when we raise our kids to know the Lord, when we raise them in an atmosphere of grace and we teach them and we impress upon them God's truths, God's ways, and we point them to their good and loving father, their Abba, their, da- their daddy. God is a perfect parent. Our best parenting happens when we parent our kids the way God parents us, with grace. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible privilege it is to parent and to be a parent and to be given that responsibility, God, by you. You have asked us to raise the next generation. You have asked us to teach the next generation. And Father, you have given us the perfect model. You love us even though we don't deserve it. You accept us just as we are. And Father, you don't leave us just as we are. Your truth transforms us. Your truth changes us. Your truth strengthens us. And so, Father, I pray for every one of us, everyone listening to my voice right now, who has an influence on the next generation. God, may we be faithful. May we point our kids to you, their loving Father, their Abba, and their Daddy. And I ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 